Test one, two. Hello and welcome back to the Black Doctors Podcast. I am Steven, your host. Thanks for rocking with the show. It has uh, been over three years since the podcast first hit the airwaves. So in June, we celebrated that three-year anniversary. A lot of milestones on the way, a lot of things that I've learned along the way, hosting this podcast and doing a lot of the other things associated with it, from the marketing to the music and the audio production, uh, getting posts and meeting a ton of really super interesting people. So just celebrating you know, having come this far and the things that I've learned and all the great feedback I've heard from you and, and people like you that have taken the time to send a message on Instagram or Twitter or even, uh, you know, leave a comment on iTunes, which, you know, helps the show to grow. I think you have to say that in every you know podcast episode or on YouTube, you know, like, subscribe, follow, all that stuff. But, you know, this episode is kicking off season eight of the podcast going to be, uh, you know, every Monday, plan on coming out with a new episode, new content. And just like it's been in the past, we'll have a mix of some inspirational stories, learning about people's journeys into the health professions. We'll have some career building episodes, some things to help you wherever you are in your point in the journey, whether you're a pre-med, medical student, resident, fellow, attending physician, or just interested in the, the sciences and, and want to know more. So Again, the show really focuses on giving the tools to help you be successful and to increase diversity in the health professions. And, you know, we achieve that through a variety of very inspiring guests and a variety of episodes. Yeah, we're just coming off of season seven. We're going to start season eight. And, you know, in the beginning, there wasn't much of a rhyme or reason to when the season started. It's now kind of boiled down to every six months starting a new season just to a good opportunity to close a chapter of a book and open a new chapter. And that's what I'm planning to do. Coming off of season seven, that was that was rough. Uh, I was in a fellowship. I just completed my fellowship in critical care medicine. So starting a new job, just moved to a new city, still unpacking a lot of stuff, still in boxes. The studio's not all set up yet. You can tell by my lack of you know music videos on, on social media lately. So excited to be able to get back into podcasting and be more kind of dedicated, more regular than it was last season. Last season was a stretch and towards the end kind of fell off, but still had some amazing episodes and amazing guests and a lot of good feedback. So looking forward to building on what's already been established. Also for season eight, we're going to probably keep the same album art. Uh, It was created by uh, Physician Doodles, Rahel. She's an amazing artist. And if you look at the the cover art, she created that specifically for the show. So follow her on her social medias. And you know, she does some really pretty cool stickers and other stuff. So thank you for contributing to the show in such an incredible way. Some of the milestones that we've accomplished, in addition to the three years and several seasons, gone through several different iterations of the theme music. Still haven't settled on uh, you know one in particular. I should have some time to create something that, that'll stick or I'll just keep you know, changing it up. Variety is the spice of life. We've hit over 150,000 downloads for the podcast, which is incredible, blows my mind. I, I had no idea that that many people would uh, tune in to listen. You know, the podcast metrics are, are are pretty cool and helpful. Of that, you know, the, the way the metrics work, uh, to be fully transparent, just because, you know, if you ever subscribe once to a podcast, then it pretty much downloads the episode every time that 
this episode drops, and you may or may not be actually listening to the episode, but it still counts towards our 150,000 downloads. So thank you for subscribing. If you ever did subscribe, even if you never really listened again to the show. Um, yeah, well over 100 episodes. I think we're probably up to like pushing 150 episodes for the podcast by now. So some of the things that I've learned, this episode is just going to be a little bit of reflection like I've been doing, talking about some of the things I learned with podcasting. And then I'm going to reintroduce myself because I know I've been talking for a couple of years and there's some new folks and maybe you don't really know much about me or, or who I am and why I'm doing this podcast. So I'll share that in the second half of the episode. And the things that I've learned along the way. So when I started the podcast, my goal, you know, this is in uh, 2020 when the pandemic was, uh, was omnipresent. Everybody was kind of working from home and there is a lot of creativity. People started finding talents and passions from baking, baking sourdough bread to becoming influencers to a lot of stuff. You just had a lot of time. I, I really got back into music and I was looking at social media and I realized that, you know, I really wanted to take some of this time to give back to help people along the way. It's so fortunate now that there is social media and there's a way to connect. So if you are a uh, young black boy or girl or man or woman, if you're interested in being, becoming a physician, there's so many physician um, influencers and just regular physicians that aren't influencers that are on social media. You can look at them and see um, some of what it's like to be a physician. You can connect with them. A lot of them are open to receiving direct messages, and you can just ask whatever question you had. Uh, you know, I hesitate to say back in my day because there there still was you know a little bit more connectivity with email. But back in way back in the day, you know, it was really hard, and that was a real limitation for those uh, underrepresented minority, those black physicians that came before us. The networking it was it was so difficult because you know I don't even know how they did it to be honest. But you know, clawing your way into a hospital and being able to shadow and, and finding another black physician or anybody that's uh, open to letting you shadow. And now, you know, you just log on to Twitter or Instagram and I see on Twitter by making the introductions. I'm so-and-so, I'm a fourth year medical student going into urology and, you know, people follow you and support you. And it's, it's nice that there's that connectivity. So I, I wanted to be able to be involved in that. I looked at some of the influencing influencers on social media and it just wasn't representative of my experience in, in medical school and in residency. Now, it is very rewarding. I find the career in the field very rewarding from medical school through residency and, and you know, having practiced and, and gone back to fellowship and all that. I have had a fantastic experience. I'm really enjoying the journey thus far. But that's my experience. And then you look at Twitter or social media and you, you get a variety of experiences, people that are burnt out. People that are experiencing discrimination, people that are dealing with uh, medical school residency with significant family issues and, and other problems. So it's important to have that diversity of thought and opinion. And I wanted to be able to share my experiences and, and my you know, pathway to medicine. It's not uh, super elegant and glamorous. I don't, I'm not an influencer. I, I am a creative. I like to create with music and you know this podcast and other formats. But I'm not an influencer per se. And, and again, I just wanted kind of a realistic view of my life and my career in medicine. And I wanted to be able to bring on guests that weren't necessarily active on social media. You know, some are, some aren't. But just because, you know, you don't see certain people or specialties represented on social media um, doesn't mean that they, they don't exist. So I wanted people that 
you know, just are kind of fly under the radar, but have inspiring, incredible stories to tell. I wanted to bring those people on to the show. And yeah, so that's that's what I, I that's the reason I started the podcast. And it's kind of taken off from there. I remember there's also that the big side hustle, you know, thing. You gotta find a side hustle, you gotta make some residual income. And I was like, cool. I can podcast. I see what Joe Rogan is doing and all these other podcasts that are just like blowing up the read. And I was like, man, I'm gonna make so much money. And then I'm realizing, you know, that first week or month as I'm looking, you know, I'm making like 50 cents uh, a week or something ridiculous. And it was discouraging. And I was like, you know what, this isn't the great side hustle that I thought it would be. But then I started to get some feedback from other uh, medical students, some residents, and they talked about the things that they learned from the podcast episode. And just it was just helpful for them to be able to tune in and learn something. And that ultimately superseded that desire for like, disposable income for me and really replaced that motivation, that, that, that passion. Um, and that's what's carried me through the last couple of years. So that's one of the biggest lessons that I learned, you know, depending on your, your reason or finding your why, there's nothing wrong with having a podcast for disposable income or being an influencer and making disposable income. That is, I applaud you if you're making that work. But understanding your why is so significant. Are you on Instagram to make money? Great. Go all out. And everything that you're doing should kind of focus on accomplishing that task. Are you on Instagram to or or Twitter or whatever to, to just help people increase um, diversity in healthcare? Then everything that you should do, your brand should kind of be focused on that as well. So that is one of the biggest lessons that I learned. You know, you can't be everything to everybody. And just finding your niche, finding the thing that you are passionate about and putting your energy into that is one good way to live your life. Not the only way, you know, you just do what you want. Um, just talking like so many people do on podcasts. This other thing is you realize that there's such a low bar for podcasting. You know, I, I see the clips that people post on um, social media of podcasters and they're having like the most ridiculous conversations and a lot of them are offensive, sexist and uh, homophobic and, and just most the most random like streams of consciousness. Pretty much anybody that can afford a $50 microphone from Amazon you can launch a podcast. Anchor is the first podcasting host that I, I use and it's free. So you can literally just upload whatever. Everybody can record videos from a smartphone. So you see that on YouTube and, and it's crazy that the low bar there is for podcasters. So again, if you have something that you want to put out in the world, just do that and create and, and see what comes of it. I learned a lot over the last three years about recording and audio editing. Again, during the pandemic, I was getting back into music and learning how to compose and edit. And that kind of segued naturally into podcasting. So so I started out with uh, GarageBand, and I would record the episodes into GarageBand. I had uh, an app on my computer that I could pull in audio from um, from phones. So initially, I, you know, it was just like, I didn't want to be a bother. So I was like, if you can call in for this podcast episode, I can record just your audio. So I was using that program for a while, and I'd take the audio and then dump it into uh, GarageBand, and then edit it to the best of my ability. You know, you could change kind of the, the EQ, take in some of the bass or put more bass in. Um, you can take out the highs, the lows, all this stuff. Some of the boominess, you know, it's not great if you're listening to podcasts. So you can edit that on the back end, 
sibilance is another thing that that's that that s sound that you you hear in a lot of podcasts so there's a lot of tools you can use in this editing or in this uh digital audio workstation i upgraded it to logic pro x it's like 300 bucks but i used it for my music stuff as well and then you can like really go ham with the different modules and there's a a tool that will take that sibilance, that S sound out and really kind of mush it down. So it's not as uh, harsh. There's uh, tools that take out the background noise and it's just fun to play around with. I, in the last year, got some really nice um, audio editing software. It's like, I don't know, like a step down from the professional stuff. So hopefully over the last couple of years, you've heard a difference. If you're like, man, this all sounds the same. Uh, I mean, I guess you can leave it in a comment. It might be a little heartbreaking, but uh, that would be good, some good feedback. But it's been fun to really work on trying to get the best sound for the podcast. And then, um, you know, I make some music and then I put the music in to the podcast and, and how I do that and how I put in the ads and all that stuff has been fun to learn over time. It reminds me of like, you know, I have like a YouTube channel and I did a video, hopefully getting back to posting more videos about anesthesia and um, specifically geared towards lay people. So folks having surgery that, that aren't in healthcare. And one of the first videos that I did, I recently like kind of got some traction and took off and um, verified on YouTube. Yay. But I added music and I didn't really know how to mix and master yet. So the music is so freaking loud. It is painful to listen to this video. So there's a lot of people that are just getting traffic directed to this video. And like 80% of the comments are turned down the music. It's too loud. And people were like cussing me out in the comments because the music is so horrible. Somebody was like, you know, cut, kill the uh, Charlie Brown music. I, I couldn't listen to the what you're saying. So it's, it's horrible. But again, it's a learning experience. And I can look at that. And probably three years ago, I would have been mortified and I would have stopped doing everything that I was doing. But now I look at it um, it's a little embarrassing, but you know, it's out there and some people are actually watching a video about, you know, what do you need to tell your anesthesiologist before surgery and it's helping them. So that's, you know, just get out there and do it and you're going to learn whatever it is along the way. And over time, you're going to get better at it. So that is uh, my advice. And on that regard, um, I learned about, you know, delegation. I, I'm still pretty bad at delegating different tasks and I do a lot of the work myself. Some of the tools for automation that I, I've been able to use, I picked up on using Calendly to schedule podcast episodes. That's been super helpful. Using apps, I upgraded to this app, uh, Riverside, which is what I use for audio and video recording. The podcast episodes really makes it a lot more simple. I was able to save some templates templates in, uh, in Logic, and that's helped me. Uh, speed up the process. So honestly, you know, if I record a 45 minute episode, it probably takes me about 45 minutes, to, 45 minutes to an hour to edit it on the back end and, you know, add the music and all that stuff. And, you know, over time, there's a lot more editing that can be done. You listen to like the podcasts that are super fancy and have music and, and sound effects at different points. Maybe we'll get there, maybe not. Um, but it's been a fun ride learning those things and learning my limitations. And and since I suck at delegating tasks, if I get to a point where I'm overwhelmed, I just don't uh, put out the podcast episode or I'll upload a, a refurbished episode 
because it saves a little bit of time. The biggest uh, obstacle is mostly the scheduling because I, I want to respect people's times when they, you know, all these busy, super busy professionals and, and they take time out to come on the podcast. I really want to respect their time and their efforts. So that's probably one of the most stressful pieces is just booking interviews. And again, during the last like, couple months of fellowship where I just got too busy, I didn't uh, upload any episodes. I didn't take any, on any sponsors this past year because I didn't want that that push or that drive where I needed to actually upload stuff or I needed to do episodes. Right? This is a passion project. This is a hobby. So I don't know if you're sad when you tune in on Monday and there's no episode. I, I do sincerely apologize. And stay tuned the next six months because we should have uh, great content for you every Monday. Over the course of the podcast, you know, when you start your podcast, yeah, I started with that free host, so Anchor, and then I've since migrated to, I think, almost three different podcast hosting platforms now. So that's something I've learned along the way. Do your research. Um, but, you know, this is just me. I'm pretty flexible and can move and adjust. And, and it's been, again, a really good experience. And learning these different platforms has been helpful. And like I always say, you know, if there's anything that you want to hear on the podcast or any guests that you think should should be here, please feel free to reach out on Instagram or Twitter. It's at Stephen Bradley MD on Instagram and Twitter. And it is at the Black Daughters Podcast on Instagram. Looking forward to getting back into posting regularly and, and getting some marketing done. So who am I? Uh, I? I talked about why I started the podcast. So I'm Stephen um, Dr. Stephen Bradley, if we're in a clinical setting. I am an anesthesiologist and uh, as of now, a critical care physician as well. I just finished my fellowship. So I grew up a uh, Navy brat. My dad moved around a bunch when we were kids. So our whole family just kind of moved every three to four years and, um, you know, didn't have any exposure to the healthcare related fields. My parents, they went to uh, Florida State for college. They kind of got got through on Pell Grants, probably maybe some affirmative action, helped them get into college, um, but they worked hard, um, came from very disadvantaged backgrounds, went to college. My dad then joined the military, and that really helped um, provide for the family and you know, allowed me to grow up with more luxuries in life than my parents grew up with. Um, I was uh, second oldest child of seven kids. Uh, my mom stayed at home to to raise us, so we're you know living on one income. Uh, my parents were super frugal, but they made it work. So I, I don't have you know that struggle story. You know, and it took me a while. Like for a lot of people, you know, as we go through our path to medicine, we have people that grew up in government housing and worked three jobs and supported their family. We have people like me that are kind of like middle class, lower class, and didn't really worry about having. Uh, roof over their heads or where dinner was coming from. But we didn't, you know, we weren't riding around in, in Porsches and we didn't have the newest, latest Jordan and all that stuff, you know. And then we got the legacy students, you know, from how I'm speaking more so with underrepresented and medicine minorities, so black students. Then you got the legacy groups from Howard and the Jack and Jill clubs and their their parents went to Meharry Regional School and their grandparents and all that. And, and so it's, it's an interesting mix because we do have that socioeconomic diversity, even, you know, as black people. And so, yeah, that, that's, I was kind of in the middle of, of the pack 
It was a given that I wasn't going to go to college. You know, my, my parents were so thrilled to be able to provide piano lessons and music lessons for their kids. It's something that they didn't have growing up. So we all had music lessons that we had to take. I can only imagine, you know, with seven kids and we each had to practice piano 30 minutes a day, like three days a week. So there's always like noise banging around the house. But my parents really sacrificed to, you know, give me something that they didn't have growing up. I said, I like to say, as I was looking into college, my plan was to one, follow my dad's footsteps into the military. And two, I really liked music. So I said, hey, I'm going to be a music major. Maybe I'll become a music pastor. Maybe I'll become a chaplain in the military. And that was the goal. So I went to a religious school and for the first year studied music. I, I loved it, you know, learning sacred music and, and piano was my primary. And I did some conducting, you know, and I, I did some small groups and um, four piece ensembles and, and all this stuff that I enjoyed. But I didn't feel that I was truly applying myself. So because one of my friends, he... He had a twin brother, but his dad was an uh, orthopedic surgeon. His mom was a pharmacist, but he ended up changing from music to uh, pre-med. And that was kind of one of my inspirations that, hey, maybe I should look into this. I also worked construction. There's probably a whole other episode about the different jobs that I've had. I think I've worked probably eight or 10 different jobs over my lifespan. But I was working construction in Jacksonville, Florida. I was at Shands Hospital in Jacksonville. And that was my first real exposure to medicine. I used to get into work about 5 o'clock, 5.30. And then we would work in the sub-basement of the hospital. And I would see the doctors and the nurses coming in. They were driving nice cars. They were wearing scrubs. And I thought, this was pretty cool. And, you know, maybe I should look into doing something like this. We went to a physician's office. So there's a clinic space. Um, in retrospect, they get back. And we went to change some light bulbs. And there was, you know, all the medical degrees on the wall. And it was just like, wow, like, this is really interesting. Maybe I should look into into this field. I had up to that point, you know, brushes with the healthcare system. My aunt passed away from breast cancer. I had a, a grandma that passed away from cancer as well, just cancer in my family. And, and that was kind of my exposure to, to healthcare aside from working that construction job. So I, I looked at the options. I sat down and, and figured out what could I do to knock out all of the prerequisites for medical school and still graduate on time because I was at the Bible college. Like it wasn't a whole lot of fun. It was actually pretty boring. And the goal was to like get out of there as, as before they kicked you out for doing something bad actually. So I switched to pre-physical therapy because uh, when I mapped it out, I could get all of the prerequisites for medical school and I had a plan B. I had a backup plan. If, if um, medical school didn't work out, I could go to physical therapy school and that's the journey and the path that I took. I remember it coming down to the wire because when I was like a, a third year um, uh, in college, junior, yeah, they changed the court the requirements for the pre-physical therapy major, and you didn't have to take organic chemistry one and two. I think they switched to like a nursing organic chemistry, which was different, and it wasn't a prereq for med, med school. I remember sitting down in the classroom that first week where you could still switch out of classes if they weren't uh, the right class for you. And the, and the professor looked down at me and was like, hey, you're pre-physical therapy, right? Yeah, I am. You know you don't have to be here, right? And it was like a split-second decision where I was like, yeah, I could go and tap out right now and, and get out of this ridiculously hard organic chemistry class. But I said, yeah, I'm going to stay 
uh, and and make it work out. I wasn't really telling people I was going to I was going to apply to medical school. So you know, we we kept that like top secret back in the day. So long story short, I stayed in that class. I stayed, got the prerequisites for medical school. I you know made uh, plans as a third year, realizing that I wouldn't be able to go straight into medical school. I sat down, looked at the GRE, looked at graduate programs. And eventually, you know, took the GRE, applied to a master's program at the University of South Florida. I did a master's of science in anatomy after finishing college. And then, you know, while I was applying to medical school, I only had the money to apply to six medical schools. So I applied to like the six medical schools in Florida, essentially. I was working part-time while I was doing this master's program. And then it's crazy how different people pop into your life, whether it's God or whatever entity you subscribe to or serendipity or fate. And there was one coordinator, a black woman for this graduate program. And she kind of took all of the black graduate students under her wing and made sure that, you know, we were taken care of. She knew that I was struggling in this master's program because I was working. I would work at, I was working at Walgreens at the time and I would work, you know, 20, 30 hours a week and then try to balance this demanding uh, graduate school coursework. She, I remember sitting down and she was like, Hey, well, I don't think you can do both. Um, I said, well, I need the money. And she said, well, what if I could replace your, your salary from Walgreens? And I was like, oh, you know, I was making pretty good money because I was an assistant manager at Walgreens. So I'm like, there's no way she can replace this salary. And then she was like, well, how about uh, 27000 That would cover, you know, your tuition and your room and board. I was like, whoa, okay, cool. So I was able to, she she worked out a, or, or registered me for like a fellowship or a scholarship, rather based on my GRE score. So with that extra money, I was able to apply to, uh, I think, six more medical schools outside of Florida. So on that list were Meharry and Howard and Morehouse and I think three other schools. So without her doing what she did, um, you know, I probably would not have made it into medical school. I remember applying and taking the MCAT and filling out the AMCAS and my friend Love, who uh, was an Indian dude, he was in the master's program as well. He liked cameras and liked taking pictures. And like, I was so overwhelmed with the application that I could not fathom, like, how am I going to get this picture for my application? This is back in the day before, you know, iPhones, uh, or I mean, there's, there's iPhones, but the camera quality was pretty horrible. And I remember Love, like, we were hanging out and we went to, um, he's like, oh, I got my camera in the car. And he's, he took my camera, or he took my picture uh, for my med school application. Um, so there's little things along the way that really helped me get into medical school. So then I went to Howard, um, great experience, 10 out of 10, highly recommended. You know, there's, there's struggles. One thing that I've learned over the, the years, my 35 years of life and, um, I don't know, 15 years in, in healthcare, the grass is always greener on the other side. Um, nowhere is perfect. There's always going to be things that you're going to have to deal with and, and get by. So yes, Howard, there's a lot of, there were a lot of situations and circumstances and, and struggles, you know, financial aid being late. It was because, you know, HBCUs are underfunded and under-resourced compared to a lot of their PWI institutions. And with that comes some challenges. But what you definitely had at Howard was faculty that cared and you get to learn in a supportive environment around people that look like you. 
I didn't really understand what that meant until, you know, you go elsewhere and it's not like this. You're like, oh my God. Um, like, it's like going to Howard is like going to AMEC, um, SNMA's, uh, medical conference, you know, every day for school. But I didn't realize that. And you go into to AMEC conferences and all these other students from PWIs are like, oh my God, this is amazing. It's like, this is what Howard is like every day. So uh, from Howard, I went to uh, University of Chicago for residency. Another long story about how I made it there because it was definitely a REACH program. I had good scores, uh, but I was still somewhat below the, I was just below the average for anesthesia networking and um, doing away rotations. All this, I was able to kind of earn my spot and, and went to University of Chicago. I still wanted to go into the military, so I... Um, I tried to join during medical school. Again, everything happens for a reason. If I had been accepted when I was in medical school, there's a good chance that I would not have been able to train uh, at a civilian residency. There's a chance I may not have been able to do anesthesia. A lot of things that kind of complicate your pathway if you take a military scholarship. You know, you're basically signing up for a job that you don't even know what you're going to be doing. And the job doesn't start for anywhere from four to eight years. So the the market changes, the uh, reimbursements change, what especially does, what the military, what especially the military needs changes, are we at war or not, who's the president? So um, I would not, you know, I generally do not recommend people sign up for military scholarships in during medical school. And I probably get like three to four DMs, I'll uh, probably get about two to three DMs a week from students that are interested in health profession scholarships. That's where I applied for. And again, I, I just don't recommend that. Um, I joined in residency because of my dad being retired and my brother was in the Navy. He was active duty at the time. Again, I signed up. Um, Obama was president. It was incredible. You know, I was, was going to be in the military. Never did I fathom um, who would become president next. And that's who I served under for four years because I finished my residency. And then Again, wanted to do an ICU fellowship, but because I had a military service obligation, I had to ask permission, which was not ultimately granted. And I, I spent four years on active duty in the Navy. I was stationed in Virginia, did a couple of deployments, mostly humanitarian aid stuff. Again, everything happens for a reason. And I realized that if I had done the ICU fellowship right after residency, I would have lost a, a lot of my skill set in the military because. It was a very different type of work. It was um, much, much, much less acuity than you would ever see in this in the civilian world, definitely in what I saw in, in residency at University of Chicago. So it was a good four years to focus on uh, academic stuff. I focused on leadership and management, resident academics and simulation. I was really able to kind of build out my CV and determine, you know, did I want to do fellowship or not? Was this still something I'm passionate about? So ultimately, the decision was yes. And during my last year, I applied and, and got into fellowship, came back to the University of Chicago for the one-year fellowship in anesthesiology and critical care medicine, which I just finished up a week ago now, or like four days as of when I'm recording this episode. I've said it before, everything happens for a reason. If I had done the fellowship before, one, I would still probably be finishing up my service commitment in the military. But there's also this job that I was able to take would not have been available when I was looking for jobs. So trust the process. And, you know, I probably wouldn't have had the free time to, uh, you know, start the podcast if I hadn't gone to military and all that stuff. So everything happens in life for a reason. Really enjoy the process. If something is going on, something's happening in life that you're not 
a fan of and you really don't dig it, um, just explore your options. Sit down and just write. Like I am not a planner. I don't really like mentors or or and and sponsorship. Like I'm kind of a solo dude. I keep to myself, and I can usually make it. I'm pretty hard headed, and I'll just make my own mistakes and make things work. But every now and then, I get to a point in life where I'm like, okay, I need to sit down and write a five year plan. I need to figure out where things are going and determine a plan. So if you're having problems or you're hitting a roadblock and you're deciding whether or not you want to go to medical school or what do you want to specialize in or where do you want to apply for residency or or where do you want to work? Write down, you know, just just stop, take 20, 30 minutes and figure out on paper what it is that you want out of life. Where do you want to be? Where do you want to go? And then look at your network, look outside of your network. Again, social media, it's omnipresent. You can reach out to anybody that's doing what you want to do figure out how they got there, realize that it is an investment. And it, it is an investment. You're going to take you know, anywhere from two to three years or 10 or 12 if you want to become an anesthesiologist and all that. And it's going to take some time, but it will be worth it, likely, probably, in the end. And even if it wasn't worth it in the end, you know, how would you have known if you never got there? So many people you know, get through medical school and medical training are like, oh my God, I'm so burnt out. This is horrible. And I wouldn't recommend it anything. But if somebody had told you that 12 or 14 years ago, you probably wouldn't have listened. And even if you had listened, you would probably forever live your life wondering what would have happened if I had gone all the way to medical school and to residency. At least now, you know, you've got to where you are in life. You figure it out, whether that's, you know, I got into medical school and realized this wasn't for me, or I got to residency and this was, or this wasn't for me, or I'm an anesthesiologist and this is horrible. At least you got to where you want it to be and you have uh, the uh, the information to make an informed decision about where to go from here, you can always make movements of some sort. Yes, um, you know, you may lose some time or you may lose some money. There's that sunken cost fallacy that I worked 12 years to be a physician or whatever that I need to continue to do this. Or I have all the student loans. I have to continue doing this till I pay them off. And again, there's a sunken cost fallacy that just because you put all this time and effort into it doesn't mean that you need to stay committed to that. You can always pivot. There is going to be cost. There's going to be time. But if you're truly unhappy, you can always you know, find a different route. Anyway, so far, my life has been pretty good. I enjoy anesthesia. I practiced for the four years in the military. I loved anesthesiology. I loved uh, teaching. You know, my ICU fellowship was great. I learned a ton and worked with some amazing people. University of Chicago, definitely you're going to hear some more episodes in the future with different uh, residents and faculty at that institution because I truly believe in its mission and the work that it's doing in the South Side of Chicago. And it's a fantastic place to learn and to train. So stay tuned for, for that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. I'm sorry I've been away for so long, but we're back. Tune in every Monday for a new episode of the Black Doctors podcast. Um, hopefully, you know, this just helps you uh, understand where the podcast came from, what it's been doing, what we've been up to, who I am as the host, because I, I realize that I haven't necessarily introduced myself frequently over the last couple of years. Just assume, oh, this is my podcast. You know who I am. You're like, oh, okay, who's Steven? He's a nice guy, I guess, but we don't know who he is. So that's me. I think over the course of the season, I'll probably 
talk a little bit more about some of the things that I've experienced, um, music and how it helps me or how it impacts my career in medicine, some of the random jobs that I had over the time, you know, what I do as a as an intensivist, you know, my experiences starting a new job. All those will be some episodes I'll kind of mix in along with some other episodes from some inspiring guests. So thanks again for listening to the Black Daughters podcast. Tune in every Monday for a new episode. I am Steven, your host, and we're here because representation matters.